Hello guys and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts Lucy Davis Fitz and Benjamin Holden. So today we have a very special guest. Now this is Chris Wills. Over say hi. Hi. <laughs> so we actually I met Chris I think a little bit later than you. You yes. already you already knew each other and I kind of came into the picture, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, not that long after, which was at Body Power. But if you could kindly tell us a little bit about yourself and for everybody listening, that would be wonderful. Lovely. Yeah. So first off, my name's Chris Williamson. I know that my uh, Instagram handle has got you confused there. But no, yeah. So uh, we met, when was it? Body Power two years yeah. ago. Um, that was like, a hectic weekend where all that we had was Noco and Bear Bells for a weekend. <laughs> You've been um, sick for about a week after. Yeah, it was the worst, the worst diet. So yeah, um, my name's Chris. I'm a podcaster, business owner from Newcastle. Um, about 13 years ago, I started filling club nights with my business partner, and that's still what I do on a day-to-day basis. Always had an interest in health and fitness and training, so been through the whole bro split bodybuilding thing, went and did Thai mm-hmm. boxing and fighting out in Thailand for a while. Now sort of more on that functional fitness flex doing more crossfit style stuff um i've done take me out got to meet paddy mcginnis that was fun i went to the isle of fernando's i didn't know that no i'm a treasure trove of secrets lucy was was rocking a very different hairdo at the time you get a screenshot and put it over the top Um, (laughs) did that um was on season one of love island that was also fun i'd just do anything for a free holiday basically Um, (laughs) basically that would just sum you up in that sentence anything for a free holiday holiday. yeah anyone fancies uh inviting me out somewhere so that i can make a tit of myself on tv as long as there's a free holiday in it i'm all (laughs) over it Uh, so yeah did that and then a couple of years ago released modern wisdom which is my project my passion project at the moment um we've just done one and a half million downloads like last week um which is great really well done and you. you've got a very interesting um episode out shortly haven't you which i've just seen with chelsea about the story. yes yeah I was <laughs> when, when is that one out it's out today so yeah. chelsea ferguson who is the founder of admireme.vip which is a, a website where people can sell their nudes direct to customers and she she generated 10 mil of revenue in 16 months I think I'm in the uh, the wrong industry. Well, <laughs> Lucy, what are you doing? Just calm down a little bit. She said that she's got some profiles for couples, Ben, so that could be the... Wow. Yeah, yeah. That, that could go. be our next um, branch off the micro school is, uh, is, is, is porn online. It's something that we never really discussed to be in the business plans, but hey. If you're interested, subscribe below. <laughs> yeah, wow. but um, today's episode is going to all be on the effects of alcohol on fitness the body the mind and it's the reason why i brought chris on for this episode is because he has been sober now for 18 months on this stint but out of the last three years i've been sober for like two and a half of them yeah which is even more interesting because um one of the branches of your business that you run is essentially student night isn't it yeah so the elephant in the room is I believe in sobriety is a really effective productivity tool and I use it myself and I'm really passionate about it. My most recent project is six months sober, which is an online course that helps guide people through sobriety that they want, they want to be more productive and have more time more money, more calories. But the elephant in the room is that I make my living from getting people drunk. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Yeah, I know. I know. But 
like the way that I frame it is, I think especially when you're young, in the way that society is built up at the moment, it's important to go out and have drunken nights with your friends to experience what it's like to have an argument with your mate at two in the morning or to lose your keys and be locked out of your house with no money and no taxi home at like in some random city you've never been to because that's what a representative upbringing looks like at the moment right like if you want to grow up and be 25 30 35 40 and have experiences that allow you to relate to other people and their experiences you want to you want to do what other people are doing to some degree right my problem, and I think you guys are probably pretty good avatars for this as well, is my problem is repeating that weekend warrior lifestyle for, you know, the next two decades. And there's mm-hmm. nothing worse to me than seeing someone who's, you know, in their 30s or their 40s, who's got loads of potential and has just been sabotaging themselves on the sesh every weekend for the last two decades. It's terrible. Well, you start, you start to see that um, massively when you sometimes bump into your peers in, in later life and they're still living that same same train they were on maybe 10 years ago and me and Lucy were discussing it yesterday in relation to because we've both been to university as well is that when you are in that sort of social environment and that point in your life you do go every weekend and you do go out and enjoying it and I suppose you cram a hell of a lot in those three years of going out and getting wasted and stuff and it gets to a point where it's you how much more of it can you do like you, you crammed a lot of it in You've got wasted a lot of times. You've been sick more times than you can remember, and you've created some memories. So it comes to a point where you need to, suppose, grow the fuck up a little bit, or at least tone it down a little bit in respect for you to then move forward with other segments of your life. Well, it's one of those things as well. Obviously, if if you continue it in later life or whatever you said, like your peers and stuff, this is when you start to bring in like the fitness element of things in terms of like if you, for example, have a specific goal which is weight loss and you're not losing weight and you're still getting drunk twice, three, whatever, once a week, that is why. But people can't kind of put two and two together. They can't relate that that is why, which is, I don't know, it's fascinating to me that people can't see alcohol as like a calorie. Yeah, calories are fucking calorie, but (laughs) they they some reason say it completely something different. Especially when you account for the hungover dominoes the next day, you know, the takeaway on a night time. What's a beer? Is a beer probably about like a pint of beer, maybe 250, 200, something yeah. like that? Yeah. Well, beer, yeah. yeah. So you think, let's say that you're on a, a slow cut as a, a man at two, 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 three, or as a girl, at, I don't know what they, I don't know what girls cut at, like 1700, maybe something like that. You think like a couple of pints is a significant proportion of your entire daily's yeah. caloric allowance? It's the, it's the impact that obviously has the next day in regards to your energy expenditure as well because the majority of the time people will be sitting around doing nothing the next day apart from feeling sorry for themselves and throwing some shit on Netflix. So it's it's taking into account that your movement's gonna be lower on top of you probably being in a in a calorie surplus as well and the other effects that it has on you. Um so that is that's obviously a big one. But me and Lucia speaking yesterday in regards to what we do with alcohol. So with us we only ever really drink on events, don't we? Um, yeah, it, re- it really happens at the, at, the, at the moment, does it? So, yeah. like, New Year, Christmas, birthdays, other celebrations. So, it's not even probably once a month that we, we drink at the moment, is it? Like, maybe, like, once every three months. Yeah. I'd so, say. And, like, do you know what's a weird thing? Because I'm 23, and still, like, loads of my friends will go out every single weekend. But I, it's like, it's like I'm not on a different planet, but I just don't do that anymore. 
and people see it as like it's it's like forbidden that you drinking as much but I hate it when people see it as that and I still feel like there's so much pressure yeah um, sometimes as well to like to have to, to drink if you're still young and all that I don't really social drink either I don't know about you Crystal what you like beforehand I don't really just have like one or two drinks with a meal like I'm not a I'm not the biggest fan of the, the taste of it I'd rather have a Diet Coke or something to be honest so if I'm out for a meal I'd much rather do that and then if I'm gonna go to an event then I'll probably drink to get pissed which is mm. Probably not the, the best way to look at it, but that's kind of how, how we sort of, with alcohol, mix that with fitness, really, isn't it? Mm, yeah. yeah, I get that. So there's this quote from a guy that I spoke to, Ed Latimore, who says, uh, alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah, that is literally how I feel. <laughs> you can say, it's like, um, tell someone that you're going to have 20 pints and everyone applauds you tell someone that you're not drinking tonight and they lose their mind. It's so bizarre, but it's because we're mimetic beings, right? Naturally, we, we, the whole point of us, the way that humans evolved, we're tribal. Behavior which conforms to the tribe gets reinforced. Behavior which goes against the tribe gets like pronounced. So inevitably, if you're young, especially like 23 to be a, away from that drinking culture, especially in the UK, especially in the north of the UK, yeah. it's like, it is, you're an outlier. Like yeah. in in that regard, but one of the things that one of the things that you've touched on there is the fact that you have something in your life which is making you transcend your weekend warrior lifestyle. So it's not necessarily that you don't enjoy drinking or don't enjoy partying. It's that your priorities in life, elsewhere in life, are greater than your desire to drink, right? Yeah. But imagine yeah. if it's a different iteration of the world where. Lucy maybe doesn't have an interest in fitness. Lucy doesn't have her online business and, and, you know, all of these different projects going on and photo shoots and, and stuff like that. And you're maybe working a job that you're a little bit uninspired by and you've not really got that much to look forward to on a weekend and you don't actually have that much capital or surplus income either. If you've only got 30, 40 pounds a week extra to spend to make life exciting, like, what's the easiest way to make life exciting? Like, if you spend 30 or 40 quid on booze, life will get exciting pretty quick. <laughs> but you know what yeah. I mean? Like, the, those small amounts of, of money without much reason to kind of transcend that party and lifestyle, it, it does mean that people continue to do it. And you touched on something as well, Ben, which is perfect, where you said that after you get out of uni, you're like, well, how many times do you want to get pissed? And the question that I always ask or when people say, why, how come you went sober? I'm like, I had nothing left to learn from alcohol. Mm -hmm. oh, for yeah. for okay. me, one of the primary things in life is I always want to be improving or developing. I'm curious. I want to learn and become different, better, whatever it might be. And it's like doing the same um, four day split in the gym with the same weights for your yeah. entire training career. It's like, no, like you progressively overload and you vary your training and you do other things based on what your requirements are. But this is just the same like push-pull leg split and yeah. the same weights that you entered the gym with for the next 10 years. I think in regard to touching on like what you can learn from alcohol, a big thing for me last year, and I know I understand why people may have different reasons of why they drink for, for confidence or because they're depressed or whatever other reasons that we can get into. But it was interesting last year, and I haven't told anyone this yet, so this is a bit of a... Can you tell me? You, you were there moaning at me about it. I was there moaning. It was, it was, <laughs> it was at um, IFS events last year, oh, yeah. which is like one of the, the biggest speaking gigs we did last year for the first time. 
and before we went on to talk it was a bit it was it's one of those fitness events where everyone's getting wasted and stuff anyway and it's quite laid back it's quite chill it's not like your normal body power where you've got bodybuilders walking around and stuff is it that thing that just got released the other day yeah, yeah. Again. Barcelona last year we'll be speaking in Lisbon this year um congratulations man well done get involved then we'll put the links up somewhere for people to to register and stuff and early registration is now open um but last year when we did the event i must have had about four five double gin and tonics like fish bowls purely for the fact that i was shit myself before i, mean, I never really drink yeah. that much but I, I was drinking i was like i feel a bit better about myself about now my nerves on as mm. as high where it's some it's a pattern that i wouldn't necessarily like to get into but i can understand why People may do it, but how often? How often are you speaking on stage in front of a couple of hundred or maybe a thousand people? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, how much do you need that? So you've touched on a load of different different areas there that I think are super important. So one of them is called living with the edge. So that's what you've referred to there, which is that there are certain good and bad emotions that we feel in life, and alcohol is an anaesthetic, right? It sedates you from feeling things. It num it's a numbing agent, so it actually mm -hmm. reduces down the things that you feel which is why your sense, that sensory kind of overload of I'm nervous, I'm anxious, my brain's working too fast, you sedate yourself and you don't feel it as much, the same as if you take a, a painkiller or anything like that. But there's an argument to be made that life is meant for living, right? And that if you're going to do anything, you might as well sit with that edge as much as you can and fully immerse yourself in it because that's how you're going to learn the most. Now, that mm -hmm. being said, if you got up on stage and were so nervous that you, you know, you can't get your words out, that's dangerous. But on the flip side of that, what might you have learned from that experience or what skills might you have developed had you not have had those drinks? Would it have forced you into a new area of growth mm -hmm. where you completely intrinsically overcame that level of anxiety and this has implications for one of the main reasons that people use alcohol right which is confidence to speak to people a lot mm -hmm. more people than admit it are actually really really socially awkward like i'm you know i'll put my hand in the air i see i've seen a million people right walk into club nights that i've run one and a half million downloads on podcasts and stuff like that and i still get socially awkward around people just because yeah. you do right it's natural i do massively yeah and we, you know to hear that you, Lucy, with like nearly half a million followers on Instagram and doing all the YouTube stuff and this, that, and the other. I hear this criticism all the time about Craig Ritchie. People say, because they've seen him on YouTube and he's real outgoing, but in real life, he's just kind of a normal guy who probably keeps himself to himself a lot. And then they're like, oh, Craig, like, I, he was a bit of a dick. Like, he wasn't really that outgoing. It's like, he is not the person you see on YouTube every single day. That's the person he has to be to get the yeah. energy across in his, in his YouTube. Same yeah. as you guys, right? So, I don't, yeah, highlight reel, I don't think that's like a negative though, because I think a lot of people say, well, he's two different people and he's pretending to be someone else. It's not. It's just that you've got to project your personality within a 20 minute window. It's like if you had a 20 minute <laughs> slot on TV, you wouldn't turn up. Real and just dull be, and miserable. Yeah, 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 try and yeah, get your yeah. personality across as best as possible, but you can't be like that 24 hours a day. It's just, you'd run yourself into the ground. Do you? And, yeah. and if anything, the good thing of YouTube is that. You can't hide. Like it's different with a minute clip on Instagram. It's different with a fifteen-second story. If you're doing ten to twenty-minute YouTube videos, then you really do capture someone's personality. 
Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. So yeah, we've touched on the fact that people use it for confidence, right? So you're in a bar, you want to go up to people, maybe. So <clears throat> as a, a guy or a girl, if you practice what pickup artistry, there's something called approach anxiety, which is exactly as it suggests. It's that first hurdle. It's opening the opening line that you get. And that's where most people struggle. They're like, uh, uh, that's an attractive guy or girl over the far side. I'd love to go talk to her. But what do I say? What if she KBs me, which is not knocks me back like what if you know all of these concerns that you have so right i'll have a few drinks a few drinks later maybe i've worked up the courage but the weird thing is if you continue to rely on alcohol throughout all of this this series of years of your life of approaching people you never actually develop confidence that's the same as me saying right okay how much can you lift well if i've got a belt and sleeves and a bunch of exogenous testosterone and all of this caffeine and a bunch of other stuff i can lift this and it's like right okay well let me let's take all of that away what can you lift raw and you're like well hang on a second maybe i can't lift anything maybe the belt and the sleeves and everything is holding you together maybe your structure without that is so weak and so underdeveloped that you're essentially nothing and that's yeah. what that's what the concern is it's like if you keep on relying on alcohol, you never actually develop real confidence. You never actually learn how to be in a social situation properly. And that's why it'll be interesting when you guys speak this year to see if this last year of development for you, Ben, is like, okay, like, can I get away with just having two drinks? Yeah. Can I get away with, do I need eight drinks? Has something happened over the last year that's actually increased my performance anxiety, whatever it might be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it almost becomes like a crutch, basically, and then becomes a placebo effect in the regard that you think it is a lot more than what it is. But that's why, for me, this year, I don't know if you've heard about the group before, Chris, but it's called Toastmasters. Yes. Yeah, so it's the speaking event. So I've now signed up to that to develop my speaking skill to be more confident in talking for other people. So I'm not relying on a bottle of Hendrix before I... <laughs> Do you know what's actually so interesting? Because I swam my whole life and it was to to kind of like such a high standard like swim for gb where we couldn't drink so until i was 18 didn't really drink and then i went to uni so my first year i was out three or four times a week i went literally crazy but for me i realized that alcohol actually made me anxious because i'm already an anxious person i already have anxiety and i didn't realize how much of an effect going on a night out and being like not in control of myself had on me and maybe that is a reason why I did stop it like, I didn't really drink second and third year of uni like I started doing the business things anyway so I wasn't really interested but I feel like it also had an effect in terms of like if I have a drink I'm gonna get anxious mm-hmm. well that's, I mean first off the bat if anybody that's listening suffers with depression or anxiety and you tend to get disproportionately bad hangovers compared with your friends which you will do stop drinking like Mm. the answer is staring you in the face it's like just don't drink because you can have your juice without the squeeze you can go out you can enjoy your night you can do all the rest of it you can leave at one in the morning and you get 80 percent of the enjoyment of the night out and let me tell you i've seen a thousand plus events i've worked over the last 10 years right over a thousand nights nothing interesting has ever happened between the hours of one and three in the morning ever nothing interesting happens it's like slumpy shuffling snogging or lads trying to like box each other and conor mcgregor it's like nothing cool happens right yeah and you can leave and you can go home and the only reason or the main reason why people don't do it is their friends are going to say oh what you're not drinking what what, what, what you're not drinking for that's it 
That's one of the things that I enjoyed um, about. I went to Newcastle for my birthday a couple of years ago, and it was a little bit different to Liverpool in regard to, I suppose, the timings. So it seemed like everyone was drinking a lot earlier, but most of the places latest would shut at three o'clock, whereas mm-hmm. in Liverpool, most of the places are shut at like six, seven o'clock. You got girls crawling down the curb and. And guys going to ch- walking in with the chippy as guys are walking to work. So yeah, yeah. that was the difference. That people were starting earlier but going home earlier as well, which is I quite liked. It was quite it was quite different. Absolutely. And I didn't really find that many places that were open, unless you know of any. No, there's, there's, honestly, man, there's there's Powerhouse, which is the gay club, and that is it. That's got a six a.m. license in Newcastle. So you know, a lot of people go to Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, especially London. You know, London, you've got clubs open till nine in the morning. Yeah, and they come back up and they're like, "Hey, man!" Like the young lads that work for us as we run our events. Fuck! I wish that I wish that Newcastle had had clubs that were open till six in the morning, till eight in the morning. I was like, "You fuck yourself up so much with a three a.m. finish. What do you want a six a.m. finish for? You're gonna, you're gonna end up with like liver disease within the space yeah. of the next couple of years." But on, on that note, we're talking about depression, anxiety, and I suppose leading this into more um, of a fitness outlook. Obviously. Why I spoke to a couple of guys who I've worked with personally when I've been coaching them. Why fitness has really helped them is because they've swapped that feeling of like, I suppose euphoria, endorphins are released, they feel better about themselves with a session in the gym as opposed to just relying on alcohol. And I think that's where fitness really sometimes is the the underlying factor which can act as that new crutch to move people forward with how they feel and the way they feel and their experience with that as opposed to alcohol. I know for a lot of people it can be sometimes difficult to make that transition, especially when you're, I suppose, in that bubble or you're surrounded by a lot of people who have that same social setup that you do. Yeah, well, humans work on a sacrifice-reward balance, right? Like, you know, you've had a real hard week at work, you've been doing this, doing that, and on a weekend you want to reward yourself. But the problem is because everyone gets into this rhythm, especially if you're from a normal working class city or town, the reward that people get on a weekend is the night out or the trip to the pub or, you know, that might be what your parents did, what your grandparents did. That is the way the sacrifice rewards mentality happens. So what you've hit on there is that the guys that you're working with and the girls that you're working with are trying to replace that reward that they used to have as alcohol with a good gym routine or, you know, a, a hike with friends. So six months sober, the course that I've been talking about, we actually changed the Saturday. The Saturday is called Sober Saturday. And they have mm-hmm. to make a plan every single week about what they're going to do on a Saturday. And it rewards their hard work and their sacrifices through the week with something. But that something is not alcohol. Yeah. And yeah. you're totally right as well. The endorphins thing's a great point. I've been injured for the last sort of 12 months or so, which has meant I've kind of had to bring my training back. And mm-hmm. the difference when I haven't been able to get that endorphin kick that I've had for the last 10 years to my mindset, to my mood, to my energy, to everything has been so stark. So, you know, coming from someone who's seen what it's like without fitness, then with fitness and then without fitness yeah. again, adding fitness in is it, it literally is like the, the most free positive gains to your mindset that you're ever yeah. going to get. I think that comes down to basic behaviorism, doesn't it? In terms of positive reinforcement of a behavior is what's going to stick around. So I suppose we'll kind of move into, now we're talking more about fitness, some of the physiological effects that alcohol has had. And I suppose how have you noticed more so from cutting it out 
as opposed to when you're maybe going out each weekend and doing your events? How how has it affected your performance? How has it affected you physiologically? Is it opposed to just the mental side of things? Well, I mean, straight off the bat, the calories. Yeah. Like the yeah. difference, the difference in calories is insane. You you you're playing around. Most people that are cutting, you're playing around with what maybe on a moderate cut, 3,000 calorie surplus a week, three and a half thousand, like 300 a day, something like that-ish. So it's not actually all that much. And one night out can completely scupper those gains. And if you have two nights out a week, you're going to put yourself into a surplus instead of a deficit without even seeing it. So that was that was one of the things straight off the bat. Um, there's a bunch of stats that I can throw at you if you want, which are a real, real kind of scary. Um, by the way. Okay, so... Um, there was a study that was done by The Lancet, which is the largest, uh, the largest alcohol study that's ever been done. And they basically did about one point, no, sorry, 16 million, um, 16 million people did this study. And it's pretty terrifying when you actually look at how much damage has been done. So alcohol is the number one cause of people under the age of 40 dying early. That's it. So all of the associated effects together, it's the number one. It's called disability-adjusted life years. So disability-adjusted life years under the age of 40 it is the number one reason why people die early. Um, it's also an, what's referred to as an all-cause mortality risk, which means that if you drink, the likelihood of you dying from anything goes up. So that's the likelihood of you dying from cancer, accident, being hit by a car, liver disease, em- emphysema, all that everything that you could have going wrong is increased is increased by that so i mean that's those are two real bad real bad things right but the real kicker and this was um sent forward by the uk's health minister about two years ago and a lot of people you'll have heard this before right where they go well yeah but one glass of red wine every two weeks actually is really good for you because it's got it's 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 got like resveratrol and yeah, yeah, it's got like antioxidants in it and stuff like that. And this is the quote, right, that, that anyone that's heard that needs to know. And the quote is, the safest level of alcohol consumption is zero grams of ethanol per week. That's not one, yeah. that's not five, that's not half a one, that's not one every month. It is the more that you drink, the closer you are to death. That's it. That is the fact, right, when it comes down to just pure health. The more that you drink, the closer you are to death. Now, that's not to say that you can't drink and also live, you know, a, a, a happy life or, you know, an effective life. And someone will always be able to, well, my dad's had five pints a night for the last 50 years and he's he's still alive at 85 years old. You're right. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. But your dad is beating the odds, not playing them. Yeah. So, that I mean, from the health perspective, it's real scary. Like when you look at it, it is really, really concerning. Um yeah, you can't you can't really argue with those those points. It's as it's as as black and white as that. I suppose, <laughs> I suppose most people are, are kind of looking for the balance um, between that. And I think coming from go on. sorry, it's like it's on the same level because I was reading a study like drinking is on the same level as smoking and asbestos, but people mm-hmm. don't see it as like having five cigarettes and five glasses of wine and asbestos in a building and. The, you just you don't it's like you almost don't want to relate it yeah you don't want to know that alcohol is that bad for you because it, yeah. it's so easily accessible though as well in terms of picking up from the shop or going out and people can't accept yeah it 
They're willfully ignorant, aren't they? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think coming from what the position a lot of our listeners will come from is from a health perspective and kind of wanting to know some of the effects it probably has on the body. So with it being a diuretic, it's obviously going to make you dehydrated. It's going to upset the electrolyte balance. Mm-hmm. It's going to do a bunch of other things. And it will, I suppose, in some degree, although there's a lot of arguments and studies regarding the effects on testosterone for guys, it still can lower your testosterone down by like up to 23% for a certain period and for like 10 to 16 hours and the more that we do drink the lower that that becomes obviously those levels will rise as you get over your hangover but generally it's for the worse the hangover is the the more effect it can have on testosterone levels the next day so I suppose when you're going to the gym and you're getting your gains then that is going to be something which is 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 affected to some degree the next day as well Isn't Isn't there something about protein synthesis? Doesn't it doesn't it halt protein synthesis? Yeah, so the the lower your testosterone levels will be, the more it will f- affect protein synthesis the the next day, and it can last anywhere to like half a day to, to thirty six hours, depending on how much it is going to knock your testosterone levels. Again, there is some debate on whether and how much it affects testosterone levels, but I don't think you can argue that it will affect them to some some degree the next day. It starts to affect you though as well, even when you've been drinking, you fall asleep quicker. But because it affects your REM sleep so much, which is your deepest part of sleep, it'll affect your muscle synthesis and your muscle recovery. So even though it might not play a part directly, if you've had one, it's going to affect your sleep. Your sleep affects your recovery. Your sleep affects muscle building. It affects everything. Yeah, of course it does. And then obviously the big thing is the next day is, is, is mainly the amount of calories that you're slamming back from eating shit because... The other hormone that alcohol affects is leptin, is leptin which is obviously what controls how you feel. How, yeah, our satiety and how full we are and how much we want to eat. So if you're starting to play with leptin and stuff, there's no there's no doubt that you could easily slam back a, a KFC family bucket the next day, no questions asked. <laughs> I bet so, you can. I bet you can scran on a hangover, Ben. Oh mate, I used to go. That, that was one of the reasons I had to stop because the next so day I, I remember going. I think it was after because my birthday is on Halloween, so it gets it gets pretty wild. Oh, wow. um, so like the next day I could go and get like a family bucket and that the family buckets came with like eight sides of chips, like two litres of coke and I could easy Yeah, I could easy bash bash that back. So I think that's probably the biggest one for most people is that with the ca- extra calories and stuff that they're having, the way that alcohol works, it's obviously it's still a calorie, but it's then the way that our energy systems are used by the body so it's going to use alcohol as an energy as opposed to using glycolysis and and, um beta oxidation i tell you what there are some knowledge bombs getting dropped here i hope everyone's got their notepads out (laughs) with with what happens is so our bodies when we use energy you use glucose and fat but when you bring alcohol into the equation your body then starts breaking down the alcohol and that's like a four-step process so as that's taking place, no one's using the fat and the glucose. That's the easiest way to put it. So that fat is then just stored in our bodies because alcohol takes over so much and it's such a hard process to break down into energy. So yeah. when you do go for your scran after a night out and you've been drinking, it's actually is going to store as fat. So that that is one of the biggest killers. It's not as such always the alcohol. I think that's what people like believe, though. Have... It's, it's alcohol that puts weight on you. It's not. It's just that you're swapping the energy system to something else. Yeah. Mm. But if you're having, like, a gin tonic or whatever, but it's not as bad. But then if you go and have, like, your cheesy chips or whatever, they're just going to be stored as fat, yeah. which is what a lot of people don't understand in terms of fat loss and alcohol. Yeah. We're not saying don't do it. 
Yeah, like, I suppose, I suppose this, this not, podcast sounds like you must not drink ever again. Because we're not... We're not, I, not saying that. We just it's just about having balance and yeah. understanding that if you do have a fitness goal and you seriously want to lose weight or fat loss, drinking's probably not going to help. That that's like the easiest not probably way. It will it not will help. Not no, help. not at all. You touched on about the REM sleep as well. So a lot of people use alcohol to help themselves get to sleep on a night time, but the fact help. of the fact of the matter is that you're not sleeping when you've had a drink. You're sedated, and there's a yeah. big difference. And that's the reason why you mentioned about the fact that it affects your REM sleep. So a lot of people that are listening might have had big heavy night, then no dreams throughout pretty much all of the night, and then mental dreams at the end of the night. And that's for precisely that reason, that your body's been working through all this alcohol, getting rid of it, getting out of that sedated state, and then has finally got to the point where it's like, right, I'm backed up, I need to get this REM sleep in, and it just drills the shit out of you and gives you some ridiculous dream. And that's what happens, and that's the situation that you've come up with there. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I suppose the thing is when we're looking to get balance then or um, because I'm, most of our listeners probably aren't going to listen to this and go, I'm going sober. But Which what, what, we, what we want them to do is is kind of take some of these points away and be more mindful of them for both mindset and the physiological benefits of it. So if you could give some tips away, Chris, in regards to drinking or lowering the consumption or some of the things that you've worked um, on a couple of your projects with, mm-hmm. what would be your main take-home tips? The easiest way, I think, to do it is to have periods where you're going to go sober. So all that balance is, is uh, less of the extremes on both sides, right? But you could say, right, I'm going to do 28 days. I'm going to do the next four weeks, and I'm not going to drink. And so then, like so January? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just do it consistently throughout the year, right? So my my rule of thumb is I think that Every one year, you should do at least one month sober. Every two years, you should do at least three months sober. And every five years, you should do at least six. And if you mm-hmm. stick to something like that as a rule, it means that across the whole, across that whole period, across a five-year period, you're really going to rate down your reduction. Obviously, another thing to consider as well is if you can set yourself a drink limit on a night, the difference between five drinks and ten drinks doesn't double your enjoyment of the night but more than doubles your hangover the next day. Yeah. So setting yourself right, okay, where's my limit? Where do I know that if I have five drinks, three drinks, eight drinks, I can still perform the next day. I can still get in and stick to my diet. My, my fitness pal's not going to look like, you know, like a big arithmetic problem that I've got to work my way through. Um, and I'm still going to, I'm still going to get to train. Like, I, you know, I'm not going to be affected in terms of mindset. Um, so set yourself a hard limit in terms of that. One of my friends has used a thing where he's got himself 12 cards, 12 playing cards, and every time he wants to go on a night out, he has to take one of the cards out of this deck and he puts them he puts them in the bin and he can only use the card. So he's got one night out per month, essentially, you could rate it as. He's got 12 of them a year. And that means that he ensures that he's not going over the top and he thinks, oh, fucking hell, I've got to go out tonight, right? Can I do it sober? Because if I can do it sober, then uh, Jonathan's wedding in a couple of months' time, then I can drink at that. And he's playing, yeah. you know what I mean? So he's, he's playing with a finite resource because our health is a finite resource. And if you yeah. want to allow, if you want to have a goal, if your goal is I have to be at whatever percent body fat by summer, I have to be at whatever percent strength by, by summer, you have to make some concessions somewhere. You cannot have everything. You can't have your cake and your beer and eat it. Like that's yeah. not the way that it's going to work, right? Yeah, definitely. I think with some of those tips and turns of like a health and fitness benefit, like some of the simple ones from, from our perspective would be 
applying more logic. So in terms of looking at it from a caloric point of view, would be exactly the way that you're going to spend money. You have your set amount for the day. And therefore, if you're going to go out and drink, you need to reserve some money from somewhere else. So it's, it's holding calories in the bank so then you can go out and drink and have a couple whilst still semi being on track and not going completely over the top. Um, so whether that's you've got to put a meal aside or put a snack aside or whatever it may be, whether that is you are drinking some kind of lower calorie drink, drinking lower calorie mixes, diet and that kind of thing, so you're not going completely over the top with the calories. If you are someone who's looking to cut, that might be from a physiological point of view that you consume a lot less carbs and a bit more protein because it's going to have a better effect on protein synthesis the next day. There's, you might want to have more water intake to make sure that oh, you... Water's a big one because yeah. it's, it's a diuretic, it's an mm-hmm. alcohol, you're just constantly dehydrating. Also, make sure you go to the toilet so much, which dehydrates you even more. So having water and a drink on a night out, nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just keeps you hydrated. Yeah, so I think... On, go on, Chris. I'll have you, have you got some suggestions of lower calorie drinks that people can have? On a night, what I I always drink diet drinks anyway, regardless. So I think for me, having a diet drink would would always as a mixer. I'd, I'd always have. I don't drink a lot of beer. If I have a beer, it's generally because um, either I'm just having one, which rarely happens, or probably because I've been socially pressured into it's a fucking beer, so I have it. Um, have you so seen I, um? Have you have you seen Corona Light? Have you seen that? Yeah, mate, I've drank that a couple of times. Eighty nine calorie beer. That's brilliant. Outstanding. It's brilliant. So mm. I'll, 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 if I do have one, I usually have a, a lighter drink, quite a bit of that in America. I have gin and tonic. You'll have a lot of gin and tonic. I tend to drink um, rum or whiskey. I'll sometimes have, um, what's the phone? I can't even think what it is now. The liqueur that I have quite a lot. Amaretto. Amaretto, but I'll drink it Diet on the rocks. I don't mind that. Oh, okay. So, so there's some of the things I'd have. What, what would yours tend to, what would you tend to drink when you were going out? Same, exactly the same. So like hyper light beers, if you can it's america's amazing for this america's got all crazy low calorie beers and stuff but yeah certainly aiming for as light of a beer as you can do um and then yeah as soon as you get into this i mean anyone that's listening that's still drinking full fat soda uh, it it is you are leaving so much on the table so some of the lads that work for us who'll say oh mate would you go and get me a red bull and i'll go grab them a couple of red bulls from behind the bar and i'll come back with sugar-free red bulls they go what's that Right, it's, it's red. It's red bull. That's what you asked for. I said, no, no, no. Can I have the sugar one? I'm like, why? Yeah, it does. I actually don't think I don't really drink fizzy drinks, but they don't taste different. I can't. I can't tell. It's the freest, freest <laughs> yeah, yeah. calories that you're ever, yeah. ever gonna get. My God. But yeah, so that like a, a diet, a diet mixer with um with vodka. I remember in uni, you might have done this back in uni, Ben. Did you ever try like? Uh, pre-workout like jack 3d and vodka or no oh. explode and vodka mate yeah i was gonna i was gonna get on to that <laughs> <laughs> well, what one of the things that i suppose on that that thing talking about mixes it was it was so funny last year we went um out for lucy's birthday a few of us and lucy experienced their first um quad vod with um oh, with a wicked poured in that as the mixer <laughs> <laughs> it was honestly i it was like the worst thing of my life i don't it's like what was it four shots of vodka yeah, quad vod, yeah. i never heard of quad vod in my life yes quad vod give me a quad vod what's a quad vod <laughs> never again you live and learn you yeah. don't need to do it again you experience much more than i have to have yeah exactly wow but i suppose 
on that note the next day what would your opinion be or what would you usually do in regards to training the next day after you've been out are you someone who would get out and be active and get in and try and train or would you leave it alone completely optimally definitely get in and do something so i think let's say that someone's pulled the pin and decided to go on a night out that's moderately heavy so that they're at least still slightly conscious of what they're doing because it's all well and good as giving you instructions but if you can't see you yeah. can't follow them um definitely pint minimum of a pint of water before you go to bed on a night time and then mm -hmm. when you wake up to get rid of that part way through the night i'd refill the glass and go again so i'd just keep hydrating as much as you can upon waking i'd go for a walk as quickly as you can so just get fresh air because we've all been there right where you're wallowing in this horrible hangover just staring at the ceiling wishing life would end but if you get up and start to have some semblance of a normal life again like right oh there's other people there's fresh air there's sunlight you know just get something moving get that blood flow going and then when it comes to training like your willpower is going to be down like concede the fact that you're not going to pb the next day yeah. i also don't think that any highly technical or highly loaded lifts are the best thing to do. So if it was me personally, I'd go and do something real easy, monostructural, like um, a C2 bike. So I'd go and do some intervals on a C2 bike, like two minute, one minute, 30 second intervals with a descending pyramid and just get a sweat on. You know, sit at, I don't know, what, 140, 150 heart rate or something like that. Like not nothing mental. I'm not going to get some crazy yeah. adaptation. But we all know the first training session after a night out is bad, but that first training session can be three days later or four days later. Yeah. So it's like, I might as well get that shit session out of the way now. And yeah. I don't know whether you guys agree with this, but someone asked me on a podcast ages ago, what resets your mood better, a night's sleep or a training session? And for me, I can carry my mood through from the night before, sleep through it and wake up in the morning and still feel the echo of that mood from the day before yeah. if I've been yeah. stressed or anxious or whatever it might be. But if I walk into the gym and I have a good training session, I walk out and it is just like, you know, when you had an Etch-a-Sketch and you went like, yeah. and you just shake the Etch-a-Sketch and it just, everything disappears. That's what training yeah. feels like to me. So it's like, look, go in, sweat it out. You will feel better. I promise you'll feel better and you'll hate it before and you'll hate it during but once you are done, you'll feel so proud of yourself because you've overcome something that was so much more challenging than it should have been. And you've learned a lesson, which is yeah. don't go that hard again. 100%. I think that's the hardest thing for most people to fathom is moving from your pit of self-wallow to <laughs> sitting or doing something in the gym. is so hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that my two pieces of advice when I'm coaching people who have been out on the piss is either one, just try and hit a step count because it's nice and easy. You can get outside, you can get on your feet, reset your mind. Or two is almost just take it as like a deload. So even if you're working at 50, 60%, you don't need to be going all out. The only time I would really, not that I get a lot of clients like this, but the only time I would really advise people not to train is if they've gone out and had a load of Charlie the night before. You do because, not want to spike that heart rate the next day. Yeah, no. you don't want to get the heart rate up when you're already at a very vulnerable position. So that would be the, the step counts. The step counts an amazing one. That's a real yeah. good one. If you were to say to someone, "Look, if you just get your ten thousand in tomorrow, like if you just get your whatever whatever your your target is for the day, if you get that in, because you're gonna have to be outside. You're not gonna do it pacing around the room. Yeah. yeah. So fresh air, blue sky. It'll honestly, it'll make such a difference. I think I can't remember the tweet that I saw. Someone said, um, "Almost all of the problems in my life can be fixed with a glass of water, a ten minute walk." a nap or a good meal 
It's like there's not much actually that happens in life that I can't get over by that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like ninety yeah, percent. That's of... really true. Hundred <laughs> percent. That, that's all that I did the other day. I always went for a walk. Most of my ideas. Do you ever walk and put and this content. Come, yeah, yeah. So if you listen to this podcast now, or you're bored doing something, get on a bike, get on a walk, and get active, and fill your head with something which is productive. Have you read so, um, Have you read Essentialism by Greg McEwen? Uh, I've got. You... Wait, I think I've actually got that in my room now. It's got a little squiggle, a little circle, circular squiggle on the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got. It. I haven't read all of it, but I've I have started reading it. Well, he's got a walk. He has the essentialism walk, which is in that right, which is precisely what yeah. you're talking about there. You go out. This is where I get my ideas. I allow my ideas to free flow. I don't. I haven't got the demands of input and stuff like that. And you know, if you were to design an environment that was nice to be in in a hangover, it would probably be like a gentle breeze. Yeah. quite light and airy fairly calm like that that is what a walk is the environment yeah. that you want to feel better yeah. in is the other side of your bedroom door yeah that 100%. is literally so true 100 i think um i think that note is a is a very nice place to, to wrap up on because the the guys can now pop this podcast on and go for for a nice stroll and clear their mind especially if you are hungover today listen to this um but where can people uh find you and your podcast if, if people want to hear a little bit more chris for sure. So wherever you listen, search Modern Wisdom, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it might be, Modern Wisdom, or at Chris Will X, wherever you follow me, send me a message, send me presents, send me money, send me whatever you want. There's <laughs> no nudes. No, no nudes, no nudes. Chelsea Ferguson, though, she can send, she can send you some. Uh, that is great, Chris. It's been a pleasure to have you on there. Thank you this so episode, much. Anyway, and to all those who are listening, we are very, very thankful for all you guys that have been sharing it on Instagram, on Facebook, and Story. So please continue to do so. And if you could take a few 30 seconds out of your day to leave a review on this episode of the podcast, that would be very much appreciated. Indeed. And as always, this podcast is sponsored by the My Coach School. We actually have the what is the the waiting list is open for our next challenge, challenge. so 100% so we'll leave that link somewhere for you as well as always a massive thanks for listening guys and we'll catch you in the next podcast bye <laughs>